You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Kind of like simmering in these thoughts is that um, whether we're hearing for the first time or whether it's a, it's a good reminder that life is meant to be journeyed following Jesus into the world. Life is meant to be journey following Jesus in the world. Where following Jesus can be so much um, a personal thing, like my personal relationship with God, which is real. Um, he invites us to follow Him into this world. And today, as we continue, uh, specifically, we're looking at what does it mean to follow Jesus as a church into the world in the city. What does it look like as we view our city? What does it mean to think about? how it means to follow Jesus. And I want to I preface it here first. Um, God doesn't just love the city. I know some of you love the country. You're like, I hate the city. You, you don't know why you're here. And when you hear messages like this, hooey, you know, God loves everywhere. Yeah, God loves everyone, right? If you go into a commune in the middle of a forest, God will still love you. Amen? Okay? Let's get this. It's okay. Um, because I think what's happened as we talk about the city so much, I'm a big proponent of the city, we have to be mindful that we don't just say God just loves the city or it's more special in different ways because we marginalize a whole segment of the population. And I think our election actually was a big repercussion of that. A whole bunch of people around the country saying, well, my life doesn't matter, huh? Okay, well, stick it to you. <laughs> um, I, I think we've got to emphasize God loves everyone But I do think it's important that if we seek to know the heart of God in a multifaceted way, we've got to see that God loves the city. God does love the city. And when we talk about the city, I notice a couple of kind of extreme reactions. And maybe you're there or maybe you're more likely somewhere in the middle. Uh, Especially when people find out that I I lead a church in the city of Baltimore. I mean, that's a whole other thing, right? Uh, but one, it's either excitement when people think about the city, right? Maybe some of you are there. Like, you love the city. You're like, yeah, I love the city. That's why I moved here, man. I, I, I love just the arts available and the culture. And, man, you just go on the street and there's restaurants everywhere and there's so much life. And, you know, people are so open-minded and it's just exciting. I mean, there's no parking. But aside from that, I love the city. Or it's kind of on the other side, um, more sympathy. Um, like, oh, man. Seriously? Wow, God called you to that city? I feel so bad for you, man. Can I, how can I pray for you? Because that's got to be horrible, right? Um, and and I, I, want, I think it's helpful to have kind of a, a big picture because we tend to romanticize the city, but if you're from the city, sometimes it's really hard. I know even in our own neighborhood, a lot of people, their goal is to get out of the city. Their goal is to do well enough so they can move out of here and go somewhere else where life is not full of a lot of the hardships that has been associated with living in the city. What what I want to do today is just give a small glimpse of a God-focused perspective. Not one of those, not like fully hating or fully loving, but more, how does God view the city? And the reason why I say a small picture is that if we did a full biblical theology of the city, man, this could be like a multi-week sermon series. Like We could go into all the different facets of what that means. Um, today, Today, we're going to look at two primary passages. And my goal, whether you fall more on the, man, I love the city, or I hate the city, um, I want to help us to see the city as a place where um, we love, not just because it's fun and exciting, and it's got a lot of opportunity, or a place that we hate 
just because there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of despair. Um, Not just good or bad, rather, how is the city and how are the people of God who are in that city to be understood as an expression of God's work and his mission? So as we're in the city, and if you don't know we're in the city, I don't know what to tell you at this point, man. You, we are in the city, so I think it's responsible for some. So what is God calling us to do as we're here? And a lot of this work is from Dr. Greg Allison from Southern Seminary. He's become a good mentor and friend of mine. So I just told him, hey, I'm liberally borrowing a lot of good stuff you've already done the hard work in. But let's look at Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, and I'll read this for us. Uh, Explain what's going on here. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalworkers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Eliasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So the context of this letter, Jeremiah, he's speaking for God. That's called a prophet. God is speaking through his prophet to give a message to these people called exiles and, and just boiling down a lot of history really quick. You had this nation of Israel, the Israelites, and they were taken from their land into this place called Babylon. They were taken captive. But what God is making clear here, yeah, you were taken, but I've sent you. Part of that was disobedience, like repeated histories of not following the ways of God. The people of God knew who their God was, yet they they pretty much dismissed him. So God said, okay, this is going to be part of your refining process. So this nation took the best and the brightest into this new land. So they're there now. And the prophet Jeremiah is giving a word from God. And God is writing to those who are exiled in Babylon. Through Jeremiah, yo, your presence in the city, it is no accident. I know it looks like bigger bigger foreign powers took you and rooted you out and took you there. But you need to know this is not fully an accident. Yeah, um, some of this is your fault. And and there's a a refining process. um, But God has not forgotten them. God has not forgotten them. And in the midst of these assurances, he's telling them, yo, you have a present plan and you've got a future purpose as well. And he gives them some instructions beginning in verse 5. He says, yo, make houses, build houses, live in these houses, plant some gardens. Some of you who love the whole city garden thing, you're like, yes, biblical, right? Plant gardens, eat from those gardens, um, have families, have sons and daughters and have them. Multiply, get bigger in the city. And you have to recognize these are really astounding instructions. Um, Because first, God is promising these exiles from Israel, they are going to be in this city far longer than they probably expected they would be. They were thinking this is a temporary short little sojourn, like God's got to put them there and get some stuff out of them to bring them back home. And and what the word is, what we're getting, you're going to be here longer. So build a house. (laughs) 
Plant that garden. Give it some time to produce whatever comes out of a garden. Have some babies and have them marry other people because you're going to be here a long time. Multiply, get bigger. In verse 10, we didn't look at it, but verse 10, they're told they will actually be there 70 years before the Lord brings them back home. I don't know how many generations that is. 70 years of life, though, and, and this is in direct contradiction to another prophecy that comes in the chapter before, in chapter 28, uh, by this shady dude named Hananiah, right? Um, in chapter 28, this false prophet, he tells the people, yeah, 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 don't sweat it. Um, God, he sees your struggle. You're only going to be here two years. You're only going to be two years, and then God's going to bring you back home. Everything's going to be great because he sees your pain. He sees the thing, hard things you're going through. You'll be home. And let's be real. Two years sounds a lot better than 70. Um, if I went to a hard place, if I was taken, um, not out of my will, taken somewhere, and then someone says, hey, you're only going to be here two years, I'm going to like that guy compared to the guy who says, hey, settle down because it's 70. It's a great reminder that sometimes the stuff that sounds really nice from man's um, the mouth of man is not always from God. Sometimes the stuff that makes us feel better about ourselves is not necessarily the stuff from God, and, and the stuff that makes it feel a little harder, maybe that's from God. I know that goes against every like, Western idea that God's goal is to make our life easier or better, but he has bigger purposes than we always fully understand. God is saying to them, you are not here by accident. Yeah, it was connected to your disobedience and you're led led into exile. But even in this exile, I have a plan to bless you. And I have a plan to bless others through your blessing. God is telling his people, you are in this city. You are in Babylon for a purpose. And that is to seek the welfare of the city. Pray for the goodness of the city, for the wholeness. Uh, We would call this wholeness shalom. That's the Hebrew word. You might have even heard that in English vernacular. People use the word shalom as kind of a greeting. The Hebrew word for this is shalom. Uh, Dr. Allison, he quotes Stephen Um, Justin Buzzard, as they talk about the city and they describe shalom. It's this complete well-being. It's this universal sense of flourishing, this wholeness, delight, blessing, everything you can think of good both spiritual but also physical, uh, just a complete sense of everything is going to be made as right as it could be. And God is saying, this kind of shalom is what you are to seek for this city that you are in now. They're not just here to survive, kind of hunker down for the 70 years and say, okay, come on, let's make it out of here in 70 years. Hopefully we don't lose all we are. They're to actually live life seeking the flourishing of the city they've been placed in. Their rooted presence in Babylon, it's going to be for the purpose of blessing. That this well-being, flourishing, wholeness, delight, blessing for the city. And in that, they will also experience it themselves. And you might say, well, why is that significant? Why, why are you getting all excited about it? You know, why are you getting all excited about that? I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited because you have to understand, before this letter... The Israelites, when they thought of Babylon, they probably thought they had two options. One option, they probably thought complete assimilation. Yo, we just need to fully lose who we are and just become Babylonian. We need to just get fully into the city, become like the people here. Or the other side, complete sense of separation. Like, oh, you know, let's guard who we are. Let's not lose our moral fiber. Let's not lose our sense of the true God and our worship of him. So let's try to get away from these evil pagan worshipers as much as we can. So they were probably thinking they had one of these two options, either complete assimilation or complete separation. But God, he gives them a third way here. 
he says, seek the welfare, seek the shalom of the city while maintaining your distinct identity as the people of God. So fully worship me, fully obey me, fully follow me, fully keep not just the cultural, but keep the spiritual aspect of what it means to be mine, but do it in the sense of seeking the welfare of the city that I placed you into. Because we need to understand, you and I, we might need some convincing that God loves the city. And it's funny, being a pastor in Baltimore, I've had people from all around the country, they need a little convincing that God loves Baltimore. They think of it as like this horrible place, and I can't believe you're there to bring the light of Christ. I'm like, well, I think the light of Christ has already been here for a while. They're like, no. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I don't think the Israelites needed convincing that God loves cities. Um, their history was as a people who lived in tents for a long time. Now, some of you love camping. It would hammer it out of you if you did it this long, right? They lived in tents. They were nomads in the desert for 400 years. So they rejoiced when God gave them a permanent new city. They loved it. They were like, yes, we finally got a home after being, um, having no home, no place to lay my head. Um, God gave this, this permanent, beautiful city established by King David, and the city was called Jerusalem. It's called Jerusalem, uh, the city of God. You might have heard referenced that way. And God's heart for the city was on display. So Israel, it's a good Israelite, didn't need convincing that, oh, God loves the city. They're like, of course God loves the city. He gave us Jerusalem, the temple. We are to worship him there. Here's the astounding thing. Through stories like this about Babylon, we get a picture of God's bigger heart for the city. Because Babylon... It's often portrayed as the antithesis to Jerusalem. Like, Jerusalem, it's the holy city of God. Babylon, pagan city of anti-God. Jerusalem, and I know that's a word, anti-God, right? Jerusalem, um, you know, this is the place where you go to worship wholeheartedly. Babylon, this is where you bow down to pagan idols. Like, as if the two are very separated. But God told the exiles, settle down, build homes, farm, marry have children. Seek the welfare of this city of Babylon. Pray for it because if it prospers, if it achieves wholeness, so will you. It's not assimilation. It's not separation. It's a distinct third way. It's seeking the shalom right where we are. And I believe, I believe this is a model for how God gives us how we are even to engage our own city of Baltimore. Rather than complete assimilation, just become like everyone else, or complete separation, hey, let's start a commune. It's actually a third way. Worship. Become the people of God, yet it's for the seeking of the flourishing of those around you. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Where Jesus, as he's giving some instructions, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And this is one of those passages in the Bible. I I wish the whole Bible did it, but I'll be honest. Some of those law portions, I like, it's hard for me to be really engaged. Is it all right for a pastor to say that? Um, But man, passages like this, it just stirs my soul because the image we're supposed to get is of a lonely wanderer on the roads, right? Walking along. And it's not like today when we got 95, it's all nicely lit and you can travel from city to city and safe and you got rest stops and you can go bathroom and you can get Auntie Anne's and it's all decent. Um, 
it was a dangerous thing to go from city to city. It was not, um, your welfare was not guaranteed. There would be robbers, there would be thieves. It would be stories like um, the Good Samaritan. How did that happen? On a road from uh, one place to another. Very dangerous, unknown. And the image that we're supposed to get here is as you are that wanderer, as you're that nomad, as you're going, maybe you don't have a home, maybe you're scared, maybe you don't have a single thing to your name. You look and you see on top of a hill a city that's lit up. And it provides refuge. It provides safety. It's saying, inviting you and saying, come here. This is a place where you can be safe. And I know in our culture, we've got this weird thing where we think of cities as like the most unsafe place. And that's some of the reality. But cities are some of the safest places for immigrants. <laughs> for those who don't have family. Who don't have friends. Cities can often be some of the safest places. And we see that. And that's the image here. You are to be that city set on a hill, shining bright, that those who are walking in darkness, they might see something that invites them in, provides refuge. And, and that's been our call that we've had as a church since the very beginning. I know some of you, you're, you're a little newer here, but I've been talking, I, some of you are like, man, you preach on this passage a lot. Yeah, because you've been here a lot of years, right? I love this passage because that's what always has been driving us as the village, that as we think about what we are, we're not big. That's why I like the word village, right? It'd be different if we called ourselves like the city. That'd be a little like, you know, well, you got some high hopes there. I like village, right? It's kind of a community. A little manageable, but within this larger city of Baltimore, we're here. We're here, and we create new family. We create new culture. Some of it's multi-ethnic. Some of it's multi-socioeconomic. Some of it's multicultural, but we come together. We say, hey, we unabashedly worship God. We believe God is the one who's made all this. We believe God is the one who redeems it. He does it starting in my own life, but it's never meant to stop with me. It's meant for the flourishing of others. So we believe here. We come here together. We become, in essence, a different little city within the city of Baltimore. And as we live our life, our hope is that our city looks and say, whoa, the way you view things like children, it's different than what our city looks like. Man, the hopes of this thing called marriage, I never wanted to believe in marriage again after what I've seen. But you have a different idea of what that looks like. It's not you're saying it's easy. You're saying it's actually impossible <laughs> apart from Jesus. <laughs> Amen? From married folk here? <laughs> you have a different view on how we use money. You have a different view on this thing called success and personal advancement. And, and in our little mini city here at the village, we model with one another as we live out together, what does it look like to be the people of God? With the hope that we will shine to our larger city of Baltimore. It's a city within a city. It's a third way. And I am unashamedly inviting you to put your life on mission with our church. There's, there's no pretense here. I am unashamedly inviting you. If you are part of this church, our goal is never to just provide a nice religious service where we can come in, hear a decent message or not so decent message, and, and just, oh, I was like, oh, I did my church thing. Oh, that was fun. I feel good. We are inviting you to say the call of Jesus has always been, yes, he transforms us. He blesses us. He brings us wholeness. But it's always for the sake of the flourishing of those around us. It's never meant to stop with us. It's about being part of something far bigger than just myself and even my biological family. It's about being part of the flourishing of this place that God has put us into that we call our city here in Baltimore. And we're having, I think we, we got the flyer here, we're having 
um, this gathering right after service today. And I'm going to invite you to stay for that, where we're going to unpack a little bit about what a new expression of church looks like. And, and just to make it clear, we are still going to keep this thing called the Village Church in Hamden. I mean, I, I love it. But we're praying about what would it look like for us to send out a good number of people from this church to another part of the city to start doing very similarly what we're already doing here, living life together, for the purpose of more people being able to know who Jesus is. And I want you to pray about it if you haven't already. I want you to start thinking about it. Why do we gather together, guys? I mean, is this just like a a cool club? I, I know you're all cool, right? But is this just a cool club for Christians? Or is the purpose of the church to gather so that we might be able to show and display the flourishing that God wants to give to our city? And we want to we put a new expression of church out there. We want to put a new expression of God's work out in the city because what they tell you, and, and my experience has proven it's true, the most effective way that you connect and reach those who don't know God is through new churches. That's Again, I don't know if somebody wants done scientific fact research on that, but all the anecdotal evidence and all, all, all of what we've done seems to prove that. And I'll say this. I love how God is growing our church. I, I love it. I, numerically as well as in other ways, I love it. But the, the reality, if you, if you dig into that a little bit, it's growing mainly through people who already know Jesus pretty well, more and more each year that we exist. Am I allowed to say that? And that's not meant to be a downer. That's just reality, right? Because we've been around for eight, almost nine years now. The reality is you see most churches um, connect the most with people who don't know God in like their first few years. And that, that was our story. I, I love y'all. I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. But God has been burning within my heart. If I would give you a little glimpse into me saying, man, this is pretty nice here. I was sitting here in the front singing and you guys are singing loud. That wasn't always the case in our church beautiful. I felt like, wow, God's given me a glimpse of heaven. This is beautiful. It's glorious. But it can't stay with us. It's what I tell my kids all the time. Because my kids are angels. Can I I brag on them? They're angels. They're they're beautiful. They're lovely. Man, the guys that come along one day in like 30 years, man, I'm going to have a... I'm going to have fun discipling those young men, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. As beautiful as my girls are, um, they can get real selfish. And when they're given something, their propensities want to keep to themselves, even from one another. The two of them. I'm like, there's only two of you here, right? And, and their word is mine, mine. It's mine. Why is she taking it? And I keep reminding them, God has given us a lot but it never stays with just with us. When God has given you a lot, it's always for the purpose of sharing with others. So we're praying about right now, and, and I want, again, I want to invite you to that meeting after worship. We're praying about what would it look like? What would it look like as we pray? What would it look like as we seriously think about putting resources toward sending a group out to be a, be a village church? But I need to make this really clear, and some of you are skeptical, right? You think, oh, you're trying to franchise the church now? You link some like billboards with your name on it and your face on it and say, oh, come to the village church here in the village church. Um, it's not that. <laughs> it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, just like it was hard when we started this thing. 
Um, I am not into like, so the goal of this is not to say, oh, you know, we are amazing church. So we're just going to like, kind of like take the prototype of what this is. And just plop it in another place and you know, keep growing like that. that. That's not, I expect this will be very difficult. I expect it'll probably involve some pain, just like it did in growing this thing. Um, what I, they, should, they probably stopped sending new church planters to me. Right? I do a lot of training with new planters, new uh, church starters in the city. I think they're going to stop sending to me because I just, I hope I don't discourage them. But I say, yo, y'all know you're coming in to start a work that you're probably not going to see the full fruit of until you're dead? That, and I need you to know I love what we're doing here. I absolutely love what we're doing. I'm not dismissing it all. But my hope for our city is saying, I want to plant myself. I want to invest myself in things that the full fruit of it will come many decades after I'm dead. Like, I am probably never going to see the full fruit of what I want to invest myself into in our city. And I want to invite you guys to that kind of vision. I know that goes against American idea of we do something and man, one year later, we're going to have this amazing thing. Because we're not going to try to build a church that's like catered for those who are already looking for a church. If anything, it'll probably be like this church when we start and those people are going to like be repelled from us. And we say, oh, this is not very fun. This is not speaking the language I want. We, we, we start this because we want to see people who don't know Jesus have exposure to Jesus. It doesn't sound glamorous, right? I mean, why would we want to do something like that when we've built something pretty fun here, um, something pretty stable here? I want us to watch this short clip from this video and and be reminded. I think. It was telling the stories of people. It was telling the stories of people who were impacted by this church's ministry. But it's also a reminder why we do what we do. These baptisms, they're a reminder of why we do what we do here. I'll be brutally honest. As I look out, you guys, sometimes it's hard for me to preach because sometimes emotion overwhelms me because I'm thinking, man, when we started this thing how many years ago? None of you are here? Where's the graces? Are they dead? Adam and Melissa family, they were the only ones here? No one else was in this place? So what that means is that all of you, you've become close. I I don't know, you don't feel that close to me. I feel close to you. Um, We have become family because of this new church here. Some of you, your life has been saved from pursuing the American dream of success. Some of you have been saved from sin, express itself in addictions. And we do have the video? All right. Timing's off, but we can do this. No, I'm putting on um, what I considered my dress clothes. It was a pair of khakis and, and this blue job interview shirt that I bought, you know? And uh, I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go into this church. I'm just going to blend in. Nobody's going to notice the thing. I got my dress clothes on. And uh, I remember coming in, and there was a lady, and... Um, it was like a, 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 a older uh, white lady, and I remember sitting in there, and she she touched my arm, and she said, "You know, you don't have to dress up if you don't feel like it." And I think she could see that I was uncomfortable, and it, it just it was so different than what I'm used to. Like, 
um, did, did somebody, uh, from, you know, uh, in a church, there was just a lot of different people coming together and for somebody to just uh, try to make me feel comfortable, reach out. First thing that popped out to me was the first day that I was at the village and I had been looking for a church and I was, you know, being critical of all the websites, every website in, of any church in Baltimore, and I was like, oh, they have to have this, they have to have that, if they don't have this or that, then I don't want to go, and I was, it was just a lot of things that I shouldn't have cared about. I walked into the village, and I saw just different people from me, but different people, everyone was different from everyone else, and that was something that really spoke to me, and then in the message, just hearing the gospel preached over and over and over again, and then realizing, oh, that's something that I have forgotten and I need it, um, just with all of my background, and I had totally forgotten, I left wanting to, feeling literally like a weight had lifted off of my shoulders, and I wanted to just cry, because I felt like this was home, this is where God was going to strip me of a lot of things that I had built up. After losing my father in late teens, I seemed to have gotten worse, and I just, I went off. I didn't care about life anymore, and that's when I got addicted to heroin, and I, uh, I mean, I did horrible things. I sold cocaine, I, I sold uh, the girls that I was with to, to get heroin, and, and then, um, I, you know, I, I shot dope for lots of, for a long time for years and years, until one day I, I actually managed to sever both the, the arteries in my arms, and uh, I bled out, and I, I remember I remember being on the, on the hospital bed and, and them taking me to surgery on the gurney, and, and I remember it felt like I fell off, fell off the gurney, and then everything got black, and I just I had this feeling that I was falling, and I, and I had this feeling of just despair and, and just a feeling that I knew I was without God. I heard about the village from a mail flyer, actually, and it was a, a giveaway for, for Easter, Easter hams. And I came for the, for the giveaway, and I came early for the sermon. And I didn't feel... Like, I didn't feel ostracized. I didn't feel pushed aside. I didn't feel like this was a church that cared about the way I looked or my past or who I was. I felt genuinely like people cared about me. I remember putting on um, what I considered my dress clothes. It was a pair of khakis and putting on... Um, what I... That's why we do what we do. Um, I mean... The stories that I'm sure many of you have. Not not all of us experience God for the first time in our church, but for some of us, it's been a reawakening. For some of us, this is the first church that they've ever had. Some of you, you've come to know Jesus loves you through this church. And, And as I pray, one of the things that just kind of astounds me, that floors me, is this this knowledge. There are some people out in our city who may have never stepped into our worship yet, but that one day they will be a follower of Jesus because we were obedient here as well as in the newer work. Because that's light. We, we reflect the glory of God through our lives. We love our neighbor. We, we do good things, and we let those good things be a means for us to brag on Jesus. We live as a city on a hill. 
we seek to be a refuge to the lonely, to the frightened, to the lost wanderer, to those who on the outside look like they've got everything going on. High-powered, rich, successful, smart, but inside are crumbling and dying like many of us were. We proclaim to a city who believes that no one cares. Jesus does. No one else might give a rip about our life. Can can we be honest? There might be no one else that gives a rip about your life, but Jesus does. You want to know how much? So much that he cares that he died for you on this thing called a cross. We, We want to be a city within our city who spread our love wide and seek the welfare, seek the shalom of Baltimore. Join me in praying. You can bow your head with me. You can actually stand up as we go into time of response. As you do that, let me ask you right now. Um, it, this is a little bit of a different message. I hope it was encouraging to you, but uh, brutally honest, uh, my goal is to challenge you. And some of you, maybe you don't need challenging, right? You just need to be held. If that's you, be immersed in the love of God. Just sit here, be welcomed, and that's good. But for others of you, if you've experienced that love, if you've experienced transformative works of God in your life, guys, it can't stop with us. Let's not just build a nice, hip, cool church that young people like to come to, but let's ask God, why have you blessed us in all these ways? Could it be that you want us to be generous to our city and share resources, share love, share what you've done? If that's you, Maybe a good step for you is to stay for this meeting after church. Say, how might I be involved in that? There's no commitment to that. But maybe this is something God is calling me to. I never thought it would be. But maybe God is reminding me some stuff here. And we remember that the reason we do all that is because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Why do we talk about a thing called a church? Because there's a people of God who Christ has died for, that Christ gave of himself for, and that's what we remember weekly here. We need to do this weekly because we forget weekly. We forget daily, and we need to be reminded, why do we have the authority to go out like this? It's not because we're superheroes. It's not because you and I are some amazing church planners, and we can save the city. Heck no. We can't do nothing. But we got God on our side. Jesus is with us, and we can go in authority. So I want to invite you to come up during this time to sing, pray, receive the communion if you're a Christian, take a piece of the wafer, dip into the cup, be reminded of the broken body of Jesus, be reminded of the shed blood of Jesus. But guys, be reminded it's not just for you. It's not just for me. It's not just for good little church boys, good little church girls. It's for broken people who might not even know they're broken. And I want to invite you to that. Lord, help us. Help us, God. Help us not to just be inspired because it's a fad. But Lord, let's be reminded of your love for the city, that you send us into the city. You've you've placed us here. I think about how many people in our neighborhood, Lord, have experienced Jesus that might not have before. And God, I believe you've got more of that for our city. So help us, Lord, to be obedient. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your moving and to know your faithfulness, Lord. Let's pray, receive communion, let's sing, and let God challenge our hearts.